Acknowledgement of country. I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet, work and study, the Iwabakal and Waramai people. I would like to extend that to the land on which our listeners meet on. I pay my most heartfelt respect to elders past, present and emerging. Listener discretion is advised. The topics we discuss in this podcast may be disturbing to some. If you feel confronted by anything discussed in today's episode, please contact Lifeline or the university's free counselling service. This episode is dedicated to Daniel Morecambe and all victims of child abuse. May their voices be heard. Welcome back to the UON Krim podcast. I'm your host, Isabella Krebet, and in today's episode, we're joined by Bianca Davis to discuss the Daniel Morecambe Foundation. Bianca, how are you? Good, thank you. How are you? Good, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, my pleasure. To begin, please tell us a bit about yourself. What are your qualifications and what get you interested in working in this area? I guess I started out as a classroom teacher, primary school teacher, and I taught within Education Queensland for a number of years and then I had children of my own, so I moved into adult education And I found I quite liked the instructional design process and the resource development, but I was still a big advocate uh, of child safety, especially as over the years I've had a few, I've seen a few um, children in my personal life that have struggled a lot. So I wanted to move back into that area, but in a way where I could be of broader assistance and the Daniel Morecambe Foundation offers that platform. So you we design child safety education materials for adults and children. So I guess that's what what drew me to the foundation. That's fantastic. The foundation came about out of truly tragic circumstances being Daniel's disappearance and death in 2003. What does the Daniel Morecambe Foundation hope to promote? Yeah, so that, I guess the foundation did come about out of truly tragic circumstances. But the focus at the foundation is that Daniel's legacy be associated with child safety community awareness. So it's very difficult for me. I always sort of, those two things are disconnected, like the event that prompted the start of the foundation. And I guess I focus more on uh, what we do do. And I think Bruce and Denise, way back in 2005, when they started the foundation, they saw that there was a, a need for raising awareness about child safety in the community and and that's what that's sort of what compels us forward as well how has the foundation changed child safety well i think the daniel Morecambe foundation is nationally recognized and very much respected and trusted i think no one questions the you know like bruce and denise are very child focused very very focused on raising awareness of child safety um, initiatives, and we they've developed a lot of a lot of initiatives and projects to support children and child safety education, and also child victims of crimes. So they at the moment we're doing we're running a program called Changing Futures, and we're educating. 
frontline workers and teachers, nurses, etc., in um, harmful sexual behaviours. So we're looking to not just educate for the moment or react to what's happening, but to build a future where we have a, a better understanding of safe behaviours and and children's rights. So child safety is evidently an imperative and main objective of the Daniel Morcom Foundation. How have you seen the need, child safety and the demand to protect children evolve over the recent years? Yeah, so I have four children and I'm quite guilty of this myself. I thought that because they have uh, devices and iPhones and they're able to take them with them when they go out or to a friend's house, that that meant that they there was less chance of something happening to them or they were more protected I suppose than than what I was when I was their age but in actual fact children are at more risk of harm because of the devices so the Australian Centre to Counter Child Exploitation published a report recently which showed that 97% of parents don't consider online grooming a threat Um, and it really is and and it's really sad and you don't quite understand until you go down the rabbit hole of researching exactly what's going on that children are becoming vulnerable and they're being exposed to things and it's not even reaching the level of a parent making a report because sometimes a child doesn't even know that they've been exploited and parents have no idea about how these I guess the predators or the online groomers um, are operating they know the systems they know the games that our children are playing better than we do they know how they can interact with these kids and what language they use and how they can quickly move them from one platform to another, trick them into doing something. And they're in and they're out. The kid is none the wiser. In fact, there's a lot of, we've seen a lot of instances where children haven't even been aware that they've been a victim until they've had some child safety education that is around, you know, internet safety etc and they've gone oh I have done that so that's why we always aim to make our resources and education materials trauma-informed and we come at it we come at it in a way that I mean you can't you can't just stop children from using the internet you can't monitor it 24-7 you have to educate children around how to interact safely on the internet question everything that they see, everyone that they meet, um, really think critically about it rather than ban it. Because ultimately you can ban it at home, but they may be exposed to things at school or at a friend's house. So it's better that you teach them how to use it properly. That's a really important message there about teaching children how to use it properly instead of just banning it completely. And I suppose that there would be some difficulty in, you know, targeting a specific age at which is appropriate to begin teaching children about the dangers online. At what age do you recommend is best to start teaching children about these dangers? Oh, I would say from from when they're little, you don't necessarily have to teach them uh, everything, I guess, but you can certainly talk through and verbalise. You know, when your kids are looking at, say, for example, when I was when I post things on Facebook when the kids were little about a party, we might have a chat about, you know, what Facebook is, what I post, who can see it, 
even though they're not at the age where they would have Facebook themselves, they're still developing an understanding of the why and the how it's used and having those discussions around privacy and what I'm comfortable sharing, what they might be comfortable sharing. So, and also, even though I know that Facebook is for 13 plus, so is Instagram and is it Snapchat? I think Snapchat as well. But uh, honestly, whenever we speak to schools, they, they estimate that by grade six, by maybe about age 11, 60% of kids have social media. So not educating them about it in that, you know, instance is, is not going to work, I guess. And especially a lot of parents have been guilted into, well, if I don't have this, then I'm not going to have any friends or all of my friends have this. And this is how they organise their get-togethers or their play dates. So there's a lot of pressure on parents as well to let their children have access to things that they're not comfortable with just because of they don't want, I mean, who wants their kid to be miserable and not have friends? Yeah, that's right. And it makes I think it makes it so much harder that, particularly for my generation, you know, we grew up with social media and my parents, they would have no idea how to use social media. So I think it, it's very difficult for them to kind of monitor that. But hopefully in the coming years, as people become more familiar with social media and the dangers, we can hope to promote safety online. Yeah, the problem is, I guess, that the the line is always moving. So, mm. you know, different updates can mean that your child is playing a game just by themselves to they're now playing with other people, you know. So it's staying... And not all parents have the, the interest or desire to know everything about Roadblox or Among Us or Minecraft. I certainly don't. Um, but it's really important that you do have those conversations with your kids and you go to the places you know you research what they can do and and yeah so research what games they're they're using and check the privacy settings and have those discussions regularly the daniel morgan foundation has a number of programs that encourage and promote child safety i can remember being in primary school and wearing red in support of day for daniel can you tell us about the day for daniel Yeah, so Day for Daniel is Australia's largest day of action for child safety awareness and we we encourage um, everyone to wear red, educate and donate. And I guess the aim is to have conversations with children and young people around personal safety and also conduct child safety lessons. So we supply, so when you register for Day for Daniel, we supply the schools with free resources. That is something that... um, the foundation is very passionate about that child safety education or awareness or materials should not cost money they you know they should be for free so yeah we last year we had 1.5 million people participate in the walk and this year we're on we have a target to get 5,000 schools and early learning centers participating and we're on track for that but also we do follow-up research after day for daniel and our research has shown that 5.75 percent of teachers that participated um in day for daniel have um after the day received a disclosure of abuse sorry after the day received a, a disclosure of abuse following the child safety lessons that we provided so that 
roughly equates is it between 250 to 300. I'm not quite <laughs> great with math, but that, um, that's the amount of disclosures from young people following Day for Daniel, and that wouldn't have happened. That, that shows the impact that we're able to make. Hopefully those disclosures led to the children getting more support or um, improving their situation. Wow, that's incredible and also really confronting. But it's it's amazing that, you know, one a day of celebration about something that was truly tragic can bring about change. Bianca, yeah. this podcast is proudly sponsored by Espresso Warriors Katara. What is your go-to coffee order? I don't drink coffee very often, but when I do, I do like a really nice boutique coffee and it has to have lots of... Um, sugar and chocolate in it <laughs> um so i guess i would say yeah um, mochaccino so you have also developed the keeping kids safe program how is that program helping to shape the progression of child safety yeah so our keeping kids safe resources is um continually evolving and being updated to reflect i guess the, the current issues in child safety um, probably the progression of child safety is best demonstrated by the Changing Futures initiative. So that's the initiative that aims to increase the knowledge base around children's healthy, problematic and abusive sexual behaviours. So it provides educators and other frontline staff with um, the knowledge, skills and confidence in identifying and responding and then providing early intervention to preteens displaying harmful sexual behaviours. So that's a a very much a, a preventative, a primary prevention strategy that we have in place as opposed to a, this has happened, now we need to give this person counselling. This is, we want to nip these things. So if a child starts displaying these behaviours, then these this is what we can do. This is how to best intervene at that time before it gets to a level where it's, where they've really been exposed to harm. Yeah, that's such an important lesson. And does that target more of a adolescent age group or is that still focused on the younger children as well? Um, it is probably more relevant to pre-teens, but I mean, certainly harmful sexual behaviours, we are seeing them displayed in, in quite young children, especially as after COVID, off the back of COVID, where children have been in lockdown for extended periods and have been unsupervised on their devices for long periods of time just due to no fault of their own or their parents but just simply um a response to what's what's happened so yeah it is primarily it is pre-teens but we it's applicable across age groups have you seen an increase in i suppose these child safety cases or during covid I have, but only only in an informal manner. So parents reach out to me when they find out that I work for the Daniel Morecambe Foundation about things, that's, things that have happened with their children or children that they know. Um, and it's always, it's really heartbreaking actually because a lot of the time we're not getting the statistics on, on these incidents because... A, parent may go to the police or ring up a number 
and the response that they may get, depending on who's at the desk or who answers the phone, is, well, your child has, you know, that self-generated image that your child has, you know, has has taken, and it's come from their IP address. We can make a report, but you know, at the end of the day, like, I guess we in Australia, our age of um, criminal. Oh, what's that word? Sorry. <laughs> age of criminal uh, responsibility. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it's ten, so. Potentially, your child might have sent an image to a predator, in which case, yes, they definitely would want to investigate. But as a parent, you don't know that your child didn't send that to another child, and in which case, that other child's parents may have some influence in how this is all handled. So that element of, and I'm not quite sure of the legalities of that per state, but I certainly know that there is an element of fear amongst parents that they don't want their children to be prosecuted or, uh, which I I think from a, when I speak to police, they say that never happens, but there's a chance that it could happen is what parents are hearing and do they want to go through and make that report or do they want to just make it go away? So, and, and the predators know this, they know that they, they know how to work the system, they know how to get images out of the kids and they know how to then get the kid. like, you know, they yes, it's very difficult, I guess, to track them down, especially if the children have met them on some platform where they don't have to have a registration, they could be using a VPN, it could be that the parents haven't found out till a month or so later, so so many things that make it a very complex issue and parents just don't know what to do. It's terrifying how intelligent they can be and how cunning they can be in approaching these children. So you guys have established the Safe Bedrooms Project to tackle this facet of child safety. Can you tell us more about that program? Yeah, so the Safe Bedrooms Project um, aims to raise awareness of online safety so it's targeted at parents to teach them how online grooming can occur and how to keep how to protect their children um so we started one of the resources that we developed was a resource called i think my child has been harmed online how to make a report which i thought would be a very very simple resource to make but it ended up being Oh, gosh, I think it took us longer to make that resource than it did to write the scripts for the three videos. Um, Just because of the different jurisdictions in Australia and the different platforms that parents can go to 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 report. So each online platform for reporting. So eSafety has a great online reporting system, but from my understanding, they they can't, they don't deal with anything that is a, a crime, a criminal matter. Um, it's more in regards to removing material that's, say, bullying or um, someone doesn't want on there, they're embarrassing. Um, they do work with other agencies, but then you've got um, ACE. So ACE is the Australian Centre to Counter Child Exploitation, which is a federal body, their national response to online child exploitation. So you can go to them or you can go to one of your state and territory um police link, I guess, online reporting or phone or in person. So there are so many ways 
for parents to go and make a report and what we were hearing from parents was that they were getting such a varied response depending on which way they went first. So we really wanted to streamline that and give them, you know, okay, this has happened, this is what we need to do. We need to, this is the evidence that may be useful. So keep X, Y, Z, you know, write that down. These are the places that you can go to get help. Um, these are the numbers if you need support. So all of those kind of things. So that was probably, that was the biggest, I guess, um, I, I enjoyed making that resource the most. But the videos, um, are, I think they're awesome. <laughs> the, um, I keep joking to my colleague, Georgia, that we're going to have to, you know, start preparing our Oscar speech for um, screenwriting because, um, no, they're really, they're really good. They're based upon the experiences of parents that we've spoken to over the last six months to a year um, about what is happening and how it's happened. And really, it can happen to anyone, and that's a scary thing. It, the parents that we're speaking to aren't the type of parents who don't, you know, let their kids run wild and, and don't sort of monitor what they're doing. These are parents that are, are quite strict and um, have great relationships with their kids, but it's it's all about children understanding healthy and unhealthy relationships in real life and then how that looks online as well. Child safety and talking about child protection can be really difficult, but at the same time, there is no doubt that losing a child is a parent's worst nightmare. How can we encourage and simulate adults, parents and children to learn about child safety? So I guess education is the key uh, to, to making sure that your children are safe. So we have a, a Talk Early program that provides training and support for parents um, and educators and carers from birth to age eight around how to address foundational topics of per personal safety education. Um, and it doesn't have to involve talking overtly about sex, but it is um, using the correct terminology for body parts and and having those conversations about private body parts and, and you know, public body parts and having conversations about what's, you know, their, their personal space and others and just making them aware of their rights and that nothing is ever so bad that they can't tell anyone and also safe and unsafe secrets. That's another important message to talk to children about. But just being really open with the communications is the way to go, I think. The Foundation advocates for victims of child abuse. What are the warning signs of child abuse and what strategies can be used to help the victims? Um, yeah, so there are so many warning signs of child abuse and it depends on what type of abuse that the child is being subjected to. Uh, we have a fact sheet on our website um, at danielmorecombe.com.au um, and it goes through all of the, the different warning signs for the different types of abuse. But certainly we, it is important for anyone who has any kind of connection with children to be aware of these warning signs, whether it be withdrawn behaviour or um, language that is like around sexual themes that's not age appropriate. You know, it's certainly important to be aware of because what we do know is that the harm has 
long-lasting and devastating effects on all facets of the child's emotional, psychological and physical development. Um, we offer support and assistance to young victims of crimes through our support services and Denise and Bruce um, often provide items to child victims of crimes that will help them with improving their life and their situation. And we have a free um, program, Walk Talk, which is um, offers counselling for young people that have been affected by a troubling start in life due to the impacts of crime or harm. It's admirable of Bruce and Denise and your whole company that they can reach out to these victims and support them in ways that lots of other foundations and companies can't. The Daniel Morecambe Foundation's impact on Australia and the development and awareness of child safety is truly remarkable. Obviously, the main objective of the future of child safety is that no child is harmed. What do you hope to see in the future of child safety? Wow, I would love for a, a national response to child safety be developed. And that has been um, Bruce and Denise's goal, I think, for a very long time. So at the moment we have, in Queensland, we have the Daniel Morecambe Child Safety Curriculum, but that's just in Queensland. So every other, some, it is available nationally, but it's not generally used outside of Queensland by other schools. Um, Bruce and Denise, Denise would love for there to be a consistent approach to child safety education and consistent terminology. Um, they, you know, a child's right to be safe and educated about their, their own rights, responsibilities and safety shouldn't be dependent upon the state they live in or the school that they go to. Because again, you know, private schools, they don't have to necessarily follow any particular curriculum. But even just little things as simple as, um, you know, national terminology that we can all agree on that, you know, this term means this. It's, it's, very, it's very confusing, especially if you're new to the, you know, child safety education uh, area to work out, okay, well, this person says um, unwanted, contact, unwanted contact in this context and this person says online grooming, are they the same things or is, does one mean something else? What does, you know, child exploitation material mean? Is that different to child abuse material? So, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's really tricky to work out and I think that we need to nationally agree on, okay, these are the terms that we're going to use and this is what we're going to teach every child in Australia, no matter what state they live in or what state they go, or what school they go to. That's incredible. And I think encouraging people to learn about specific terminology and how specific words don't apply to children, you know, like terms that are, that are used quite often, like child pornography, when pornography can't apply to children because pornography implies that they consented to it instead using the term child sexual abuse material. Yes, absolutely. And it, but it's still, in the, it's still in a lot of legislation is referred to as child pornography in the different states. So um, I guess that's where the sticking point is. Like how, how do we, and it, it is sort of managed at a state level where I think we would really love for it, there to be some kind of national body that is responsible for child safety because it does go across uh, different state borders. I know that um, 
there were issues, that there's been issues um, with different crimes that have happened in one state and then information being coming up in another state and how quickly that transfers across state lines. So, yeah, I think that's probably... They would love... They would love for Daniel Morecambe Foundation. I guess the whole, um, our whole in work team. That would that's something that we are moving towards. Is we want to grow at a national level, and we want resources to be available to all children around Australia, which they are now. Um, they're all for free on our website, but they're not accessed um, generally outside of Queensland a lot. I think that the resources start a really important conversation that does need to be had at a national and even international level. And the work that you guys do at the Daniel Morecambe Foundation is truly remarkable. And the determination of Bruce and Denise is encouraging. And yes. Bianca, your work and your passion for helping the voiceless, you are a credit to yourself, the foundation and Australian society. Thank you so much for all of the work that you do. Oh, that's... Thank you. No, I, I really, in, I really enjoy the opportunity to to work for the foundation and to be to have a job where you can make a difference. You've been listening to the Yoan Crim podcast, hosted by Isabella Krebet and run by the University of Newcastle's Criminology and Criminal Justice Society. In today's episode, we explored child safety with the Daniel Morecambe Foundation. A special thank you to this week's guest, Bianca Davis of the Daniel Morecambe Foundation, to Corey Di Pasquale for composing the podcast theme music, and to Tamika Hillebrand for her ongoing support. I'm your host, Isabella Krebet, and I'll be back with another episode on August 23rd. Until then, you can stay up to date with the CCJS by liking us on Facebook and Instagram. But if you can't get enough of criminology content, then go check out the UON CCJS blog run by Molly Lancet. Links are on our social media pages.